So this morning we're going to look at Luke's Gospel. So if you have a Bible uh, nearby you or, or with you, uh, you might like to turn to it for a moment or two. We're going to look at this together. And uh, we're taking up the subject again of lost and found. And uh, we're, look- we're in Luke chapter 15. And uh, I'd like someone to read it for me this morning. I'll give you the microphone if you would like to read it on my behalf. Luke chapter 15, verses 11 to 32, what we're going to look at. We're going to look at the story of the lost son. Some translations term it the prodigal son. And it's found, this story is found uh, in Luke chapter 15 and um, verse 11 and down to verse 32. And we're going to look at this together and we're going to continue in this theme of Lost and found. And uh, a few weeks ago, we looked at, in this chapter at the idea of uh, how God, uh, the, the shepherd rather, looked for the lost sheep, left the 99 to look for one. And there's an idea of God, the great shepherd, Jesus, the great shepherd, looking out for us. There's a heart looks for you. Uh, the, the lady, uh, the widow, uh, lost the silver coin. We looked at the idea of this idea. It was in her, her wedding betrothal uh, crown, and it was one of those coins out of the, the number of coins that she would have had, and she searched everywhere for it. And the idea, again, is of God searching until he finds us. And then we, we looked at this theme of God's got a great heart for people and how we can then turn our hearts towards him. Now, this morning, we're going to continue with this second part and uh, left this second bit because it needs a bit more time, and it's the story of a lost son. And we're going to look at this theme and see how... Now the son looks for the father. God looks out for us, but also God looks for you and I to look to him. And there's two parts. There's two sides of the coin. There's two parts to life and in the spiritual life. And we're going to look at this theme of being lost and found. And so last few weeks ago, we we looked at this idea of God looking for us. And now this morning, the, the tables are turned slightly as we look to him and look out for him. And the human heart needs to look towards God as well. So we're going to look at that in a moment or two. So it's found in Luke chapter 15, verses 11 to 32. And I need someone to read it for me. I don't know if anyone... Annette, you're going to do it? It's fantastic. Thank you very much. Then Jesus said a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that will belong to me. So he divided his assets between them. And after a few days, the younger son gathered together all he had, and he left on a journey to a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth with a wild lifestyle. And then after he'd spent everything, a severe famine took place in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he worked for one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He was longing to eat the carob pods the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired workers have food enough to spare? Sorry. This is what comes with having an electronic one. How many of my father's hired workers have food enough to spare? But here I am, dying from hunger. I will get up and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired workers. So he got up and he went to his father. 
But while he was still a long way off from home, his father saw him, and his heart went out to him. He ran, and he hugged his son, and he kissed him. And then his son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the slaves, Hurry, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. Because the son of mine was dead, but he is alive again. He was lost and he is found. And so they began to celebrate. Now his oldest son was in the field. And as he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the slaves and he asked, What was happening? The slave replied, your brother has returned, and your father, he's killed the fatted calf, because he got his son back safe and sound. But the older son became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and appealed to him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I've worked like a slave for you, and I never disobeyed your commands. You never even gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes back, who has uh, devoured your assets with prostitutes, you kill the fatter calf for him. And then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and everything that belongs to me is yours. It was appropriate to celebrate and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost, and he is found. Lovely. Thank you very much. That's great, Annette. So we're going to look at this story together, and um, I'm going to take it as a, a more broadly, perhaps, and if you've, this is a passage that many of us have perhaps heard on a number of occasions. It's quite a well-preached passage, put it that way. But I'm going to take it a bit more broadly. Sometimes people just take it and look at this idea of the Father Heart of God, which is absolutely right and true, because the story talks about a loving Father But I'm going to look at three things this morning that's around this passage. First of all, we're going to look at the heart of the Father in this story. Secondly, we're then going to look at the heart of the lost son, how there was a heart change in the lost son, and what does that mean for you and I. And then thirdly, the third thing we're going to look at, we're going to look at the heart of the elder brother. Because sometimes in this story, this is the little bit that gets left out. So sometimes we can major on the heart of the Father, which is absolutely right. And, uh, but this morning, I'm going to look at three areas, all in about 20-something minutes. So fasten your seatbelts. Here we go. This is where we're going to go this morning. But I believe there is something really powerful that we can learn for life. If you want to have uh, this idea that we're taking this Luke as following Jesus. Jesus said, come and follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Come take up your cross and follow me. To be a Christian is a follower of Jesus Christ. So if you really want to be a follower, if you want to be a Christian, if you want to follow, to follow Jesus, then this story is going to help us follow a most amazing father. And we're going to follow him with a right heart. And if your heart is open and right, you find that God seems to open the doors of his heart even more. Now, God is a God of tremendous love and opportunity, and we're going to see that this morning as we look at this together. So, um, first of all then, we're going to look at the heart of the Father. And so in this story, we, we see a father... In, 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 let me just say something, first of all. I have to set the context of this just for a second. But in Eastern culture, remember the 
New Testament, this story that we've just read, is probably nearly 2,000 years ago. It was written in the Middle East, in Israel, in, in, in Palestine, in, in uh, the Middle East. And it comes out of an Eastern background, Eastern culture. And if I just say this for a moment, in Eastern culture, the father, it's a patriarchal culture. And in, in Eastern culture to this day, it's probably still very similar, where the father is the head of the home. Uh, you would say the head of the home. It was almost godlike. Uh, had, had the say for the home. Everything was tied up in the hands and the heart of the father. Uh, you could say that's for good or for bad. Now, in this story, that's the sort of background. And, uh, uh, and also in a patriarchal culture, it was the, the estate, the goods, the value would have been given into the, the, the sons initially, and initially the firstborn. So the eldest son of a number of sons, and this father, we in this story, has a number of sons, and we're picking out two of those sons, maybe there were more, but the, there's an elder son and a younger son, and the younger son asks for his estate first. And uh, before his father's passed away, which is, has implications in itself, because you didn't get anything until the, this was handed on to you. And, uh, and everything, near enough everything, would go to the eldest, but the younger wanted his peace, which would have been a little bit, and off he went and, and spent it. And this is the sort of uh, culture, and in, in that culture it was the eldest who got the most, uh, most of the, the finances, three quarters of it would have been given to the, the eldest son. And the father was like the master uh, of his home. It's very difficult for us to even gain that today because we now live in a society uh, which, which there is equality and so there should be. But this seems like a million miles away to us today. But you need to get a little bit of the background because it will have implications on the story as we unfold the story in a moment or two. And so... Um, what the father said would have gone, uh, ruled with, a, with, a, with a, almost a, a sage-like, wise-like, elder-like, God-like quality of the home. And uh, in this story, it, the father had the right to, um, when, when someone in the family, there's a powerful thing about honor and dishonor. And in Eastern culture to this day, there's a powerful thing about honor and dishonor. So you have things called and we hear about it in our country, and it, it shocks us, honor killings. You heard of that in the news? Well, in Eastern culture, there's a whole thing about honor. Whether it's distorted or not to our culture, maybe. But there's a huge thing about honor. So the younger son, in going away and taking his money early, dishonored his father because he was like wishing his father, almost dead as it were, I'll have my money now. The younger son going away then and squandering it in a life that wasn't good, brought huge, even more dishonor. You know, today we don't have this understanding of honor and dishonor. It's, it's well, if I, I live my life and I don't hurt you, I can do what I like type of thing. But there's a huge, it's huge. It, this is massive, massive, massive. And so, in dishonoring your family, let's just say it's not very healthy in the East, in Eastern culture. And so the father had the right to not only refuse his son, but to beat his son. They could, they could have, the whole village could have come out and beaten him to death for dishonor. Now that's the background to this story. That's the, that's the type of cultural type of background, broadly speaking, to this story. So now when we come to this story, we see a father who had all of those rights, the culture of his day, and he acts counter to the culture of his day. This is 
spectacular story. Now, you need to know all this because when you now come to the story, this is absolutely incredible. And you and I just read it and think, oh, he's lovely, and he's loving, oh, there, there, there. He's bygones be bygones. It didn't go like that in the East. It still doesn't go like that in the East. And yet this father, Jesus tells a story of a father because it's the qualities of God that he's showing. He wants to show the Pharisees and the people of the day, this is your God, this is this Yahweh. He's got a heart of grace, full of tenderness. And so what we see here is this. In the fact, it says, so seeing him a long way off, this dad, who would have been aged, a senior member of the family, seeing his son a long way off, he had a heart aching for his son. He had love. He loved, love, 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 love. And so it said he saw him a long way off. I don't know about you, but I probably need glasses. Hence, I get a net to read it this morning. I'll tell you a little story. And the vanity of my life. I've reached that point of age in my life where I probably need glasses. And uh, whether you're short-sighted or long-sighted, this father saw his son a long way off. Great love. Looking out for him. It's, uh, but the passage says even more. Running to meet him. Now, to you and I, we think, running to meet him. You know, it's like, is it the, uh, the flake advert, you know, or bounty or whatever it is, where you're running into the arms of your loved one in slow-mo across these lovely plains of wildebeest or whatever it is, and you're running across, and you're running into the arms of... Just in, like in the East, honour, dishonour. If you're the head of your home, your family, your children come and bow to you almost. They come and give you honour. You're spoken, you speak when you're spoken to, they come to you. You sit and wait for them to come to you, then you acknowledge them if you want to, and if you don't want to acknowledge them, you don't. And they come and serve you. That's East, the East I'm no, not trying to paint a horrible picture, but there's this type of Eastern culture. So now this is even more spectacular. So he sees him from a distance, and then it says he runs to him. To, well, he was an older gentleman, and in the East, they didn't dress in trousers. Americans would call them pants. But they didn't dress in trousers. They had flowing garments which would have come around their bodies to keep them cool. And so he would have had to hoist his garments up to run to his son. Well, you run into your son as a big no-no because they come to you. Hoisting your garments is an even bigger no-no. And it goes across all cultural norms. This father loved his son so much he would cut across all the cultural norms and even become undignified. And this, is it. this story is cataclysmic. This story is absolutely incredible. Such is the love that's welling up in this dad for his son. And this is the picture of God for you and I. He loves you and I to bits. He loves people so much. It, this is a most incredible story. Well, it goes on. It says falling on him. He falls on him. He runs to him, hoists his garments up, pull up around it. He would have looked... Looked a fool. Probably couldn't run very quick, but anyway, he got there. And so he then fell on his son and kissed him. Culture of the day, you came to them. They might hold out their hand and you kissed that or you, whatever it was. Again, this is profuse. It's, oh, this is the heart of God. It's overwhelming. It's overflowing. It's good. It's gracious. His son owed him everything now. He dishonored his dad. He dishonored his family. Squandered everything. But this is what grace is. This is a picture of uh, love, mercy, a gentleness, kindness, forgiveness. That's grace. Our God is a God of grace. Can't do anything. This son did everything to dishonor and yet his father is now about to honour him against all the odds. It's 
amazing. It's incredible. This is the picture of the God that we serve. He's a God of grace, uh, undeserved love, tenderness, forgiveness, and incredible mercy. He puts the best clothes on him, puts a ring on his finger. We could go into all that, but there's, there's a significance of that. Ring means you're back into family, back into inheritance. You have all the rights of family. You've been restored completely, even more. Puts best clothes on him. He should have been with the pigs. He should have been beaten. He should have been disowned. And in Eastern culture, that can still happen today. He then says, bring out the best cow. Or whatever it was. The fatted one. That's the best. Let's have a banquet. Let's have a feast. Let's have a party. This is awesome. My son that was dead is back. Hooray! And that's what Jesus is trying to show. is the heart of Father God for you and me and all mankind is a God of tremendous mercy and love. So if you think that God's not interested in your life, doesn't care, you've been too bad, you're not good enough, you've let him down, you've dishonored your family, you've di- there is a way back. There is a way back. Ah, now, that brings me now, quickly, moving on swiftly, to second point. One more after this, only three. The heart of the son. So we see the heart of this God. Now, this amazing father is an amazing heart. Now, let's look at the heart of the son. There is a way back, but we have to find that way back. And uh, so we see with the son uh, a number of things. Firstly, with the son, we find rebellion. Uh, with the son, he says, uh, I'll have it all. I'll have it now. I'll have it right this minute. I'll have it now. I'm in charge of my life. And as I said, in taking his inheritance before his father died, it's like saying to dad, you know, I wish you were really out of the way. I want it now. Because you didn't receive it. But his father was so good, he gave him the inheritance before he passed away. His third or whatever it was, that small allotment. And so what we have a picture with the heart of the son initially was this son who he loved so much. It was uh, really rebellion. I'll go my way, basically. I want to say to you this morning, sin is not just living an immoral life if you, if you, or, and someone else is dirtier than you or someone else is worse than you or they tell more lies than you. All of sin, says the Bible, and fall short of the glory of God. And it's that every single human being on the face of this planet has rebelled. Rebellion is sin. Rebellion is saying, I'll do it my way without God. And that's the bottom line, really. In life, if you do stuff your way without God's way, and not doing it God's way, and not including God in the way, and living for God in the way, then you're in danger. This may upset you and offend you, but you are in danger of living in rebellion. That's called living in sin. So people say, I'm living in sin. Or they, but it's rebellion. Bottom line is rebellion. Now this son, and rebellion is my way. I'll have it now. I'll do what I like. I'm in charge of my life. And this is what this young son did initially. And what does he do? He goes away and blows the lot. It soon runs out. And um, then something happens. And this is the way we come back. You see, all of us live and rebel. All of us can live for ourselves. All of us, even if you're a good person, can still live your life without living for God and, and having God in your life. So what can we do about this? Realization. So this young man, something changes in his heart. Later, it says, the, it said in what Annette was reading, he came to his senses. When he blew the lot, he thought to himself, you know what? This isn't good. My life actually isn't as good as I thought it was. Do you ever have those moments? I had a moment in my life 
when I was about uh, 19 years of age, where I thought, I'm living a good, good enough life, and I'm, I'm happy-ish, but hey, there's more to life than this. I had a realization moment, and I started to talk to a, uh, an engineer at the place where I was his, his technician, and then as the, I've told the story, I, he was a Christian, I started going to his church, I had a realize that I needed more from life. Uh, a realization. And so with this young man, he comes to his senses. He says, the servants at my father's house live better than this. Even they're fed better than me. I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back. I'm going to ask forgiveness. Even if I live as a servant, I'll live better than I'm living now. I've hit rock bottom, as it were. A realization a moment. Sometimes people say it's an epiphany. They talk about, when I was in rehab, I had an epiphany, or I had a realization. You meet the person that's, that goes from being um, in, uh, an alcoholic to, say, booking themselves into an AA center, and you say, well, what happened? They say, I don't know, but I woke up one day and I thought, I've got to have better in my life. A realization moment. Happens a lot to people, whether Christian or not. But this man went from rebellion to realization, and it's that realization that you and I is our road to recovery is our road to relationship. And it's that, that point. He says, I'll go back. I'll be a slave. I'll give myself to him. And um, it's at that point of realization that he decides to return. And it's the realization plus the return and something else I'm going to say in a minute that opens up the area of relationship with God. And uh, he goes back then. And uh, that's a big thing to do. Because in that culture... With family, he probably was taking his life into his hands because, to put it a bit bluntly, he would have got a good kick in. I say it bluntly because we're all lulled into thinking it's all right just to go back because none of us, would have, we don't have this sense of dishonor anymore. But he would have been beaten. That's what the family had to reserve the right. And it could have been beaten to death. So he decides, I'm going to return. I'm going to risk it all. I'm going to give him my life. I'm going to put my life on the line. I'm going to actually give my life back to dad. And I'm going to say, I'll just be a slave. Even being a slave is better. He decides to return. So there's a sense of rebellion. He comes to a point of realization. And then he says, I want to get back. I want I return. And that's the good point. You see, this is where life starts to come up. It's at that point in our lives when we realize, some of us don't realize the sin that we're in. Some of us don't realize the rebellion that we're in. Some of us don't realize the course of our lives is not on a good trajectory, if I said that right. We don't realize, and it's that sense of realization, but that comes by the Holy Spirit. I believe that God calls everyone. You see, we looked at that a few weeks ago. God looks out for everyone. The Jesus looks for everyone. The Holy Spirit calls out to everyone. We're given an opportunity to realize and return. And I would say to you this morning, get yourself back into that place with God and the heart again. So when he does return, and this is what opens up the relationship, he repents. He moves from rebellion to returning and repentance. Look at this. It says there, he says to his father in uh, verses 20 to 21. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, but it'll be slightly different in yours. Father, I've sinned against both, uh, against both uh, heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me a slave. Father, I've sinned against you. Forgive me. That's what it means to repent. Repent means to for, ask forgiveness is to turn your life around, to change your mind, to stop living for yourself and say, God, forgive me. I want to live for you. Still his son. And so he repents. 
I would say that humility and repentance are the key to experiencing the love of God. You see, God always loves. I can't earn his love. Grace can't be earned. It's always there. He's saying right now, love, love, it's, it's given. And we'll look at this with the elder brother in a minute. The elder brother had everything. But God is all right now, actually, to each one of us, to you and to me. He's saying, I love you, I love you, I love you. I've got lots of mercy. It's for you. It's for you to turn to God and say, I give you my life. I receive. And that's what this son did. You see, lots of people wait for God. But this son returned to God. And some of us, some of, some, I meet some Christians and they're still waiting for a revival. The revival is here. It's now. Grace, mercy, love. Right here, right now. There's nothing to wait for. It says Christ can be in us, in us and through us in the New Testament. And so this son returns and repents. And the father his arms, he said, look, I've always loved you. I never wanted you to go away in the first place. Come on in, son. And that's how God is with you and I. Oh, you've been a naughty girl or naughty boy. How long have you been away from me? He never says that. He just says, I'm so glad you're back. I've always loved you. The love has always been there for you. And that's what grace does. And that's what grace is for you and I. Finally, heart of the elder brother. So there's the heart of the father. And we see that he's got such an amazing, tender heart, the heart of grace. We see the heart of the son who blew it in rebellion, but came back into repentance and then had his fresh relationship. Isn't that good news for you and me? We can never blow it. We can always come back. We can always come back. But it's up to you and I to repent, come back. And finally, Jesus then puts in a, a bit of a danger, danger part to the story. And this danger part of the story was probably left there for the religious, the Pharisees of the day, who thought that they were very mature believers, and they were right, and everyone else was wrong. Now have a look at this part of the story. It's the, it's the part about the heart of the elder brother. And I believe that all of us can be like the lost son. And maybe this morning you are a lost son or daughter. But all of us can also have a bit of the heart of the elder brother from time to time. Have a look at this. With this, we'll close. Um, so we see there, with the elder brother, there was an oldest brother, and he was the one who stayed. I mean, on face value, this he's a brilliant guy. He's consistent. He's working hard. He stays with the family. The younger one clears off and, and squanders the lot, and the older one, who's going to get the lot, stays, works hard, keeps the family business, honors his dad. In other words, you could say he's a model. He's, he's, he's a good lad. And in many ways, he is a good lad. And that's what makes this story quite sad because he is a good lad. He is a good son. And yet every good son has, and daughters has parts of our hearts where we can lose it. And uh, this is what Jesus wants to show. And what he's find, we find with this story is that um, this, this elder son becomes angry. This young brother is back from the dead. He's only had a third of the family inheritance. The oldest one's going to get most of it. He's going to inherit the whole lot. And yet he's absolutely... Have you ever said, I'm fuming? How many of you ever met somebody who said, I'm fuming about this? He was steaming away, fuming, angry as anything. And he was angry with the fact that I've stayed here all my time. He's cleared off. 
And he's had all of that. What about me? He was angry as anything. It was a case of... He, he, he also fell into... So he was angry, but he fell into judgment. He's, look at him. Look at what he's been like. How bad is he? Maybe he was bad, but only God is the judge. At the end of the day, human beings, we, we're not here to judge. We can't judge one another. God will judge. God does judge, by the way. Jesus judged. But his judgment is pure and good. And a judgment based on grace and truth and love. But the son fell into judgmentalism, started pointing at him. And the danger is if you start, you know the old story, it's you've said, if you point the finger at someone, there's always three pointing back at you, isn't there? I've heard that said so many times. We should keep an account of each other and pull each other and, and encourage each other. But judgmentalism, and not only that, he fell into unforgiveness. The story shows a real sense of anger, judgmentalism, pride, what about me? And a sense of real unforgiveness. Um, he fell into something. I'm going to call I, I, it POM syndrome. Poor old me. It is a syndrome, you know. It's not medically being diagnosed yet. <laughs> I'm an expert on this syndrome. I'm an expert at poor old me. So what I'm about to say is comes out of experience. And uh, I pray will not be non-judgmental. But I will shoot from the hip, I suppose, in some ways. Because I'm an expert on this subject. If you want to meet someone who's an expert on the poor old me syndrome, come and have a chat and a coffee with me. But lots of pastors can get into this. Because you sometimes can feel that you do this and do that. And you think, what about me? Nobody sit. No, you know, and before you know it. Now this... But I've learned how to deal with that, and I'm going to show you that in a moment. And uh, I think there's a way around this. But it's a danger. This elder brother syndrome we can all fall into. And the syndrome is this. Poor old me. What about me? I've been slaving away here. Nobody sees me. Nobody cares about me. Nobody loves me. And before we know it, we're, and, and it's probably true, if, if we all need love and appreciation. Of course we do. All of us do. But God, but God is showing something up in this story um, it's not wrong to be appreciated. It's not wrong to want to be loved. It's a human... God's designed us to be loved. So we do need to be loved and we do need to be appreciated. So that isn't wrong. But putting the finger on the pulse of this story, and in this story, what he's basically showing up is this, is, is this aspect of how if we can get ourselves um, to a place, and the Pharisees were like this, and the religious people of the day were like this, and I think it can be dangerous for pastors to get into this, and it can be dangerous if we give our lives, and in church life, we can stop, look at them, what about me? Well, how come they're getting that? How come I'm not? How come they've only just come into church? I remember, not this church, but it was another church, and I'm not going to say where it is, in case someone listens on the internet, but someone in the church I was in in another place, and as it, the church started to grow, and it, it doubled in size, um, it went through a, a great time where it doubled in size over an 18-month period. And someone who was a long-standing church member said, what are all these people doing coming and taking our jobs? At the time, I sort of laughed a bit, but it was sad because it was poor old me syndrome. They weren't taking anyone's jobs. They were just, it was just great to be together. But it's dangerous, isn't it? And this elder brother, it, 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 it can eat away. And what it does, it, it distorts it distorts our perception. And so this brother, the father said, my son, your brother has been lost. Don't you know? Everything's yours anyway. He knew that. He was the eldest son by right. It was all his. But his perception had been distorted. 
distorted by anger, upset. He'd become offended. And this is what Jesus was concerned about. He wasn't... And the father, you notice, speaks to his son, the elder brother, tenderly. He says, my son. And you notice the way Annette read it. She read it tenderly, not as if the father was chiding the son. And she read that correctly. Because the tense of the text was that the father is just as tender to the poor old me syndrome's elder son as he is to the lost son. That's called grace. Isn't that amazing? So the father says to him, my son, my son, you know, your brother was lost and now he's here, but you, you've always been with me and all of this is always yours. You know it. Everything, is, everything I have is yours. But it distorted his view. Sometimes in life, in church, I can look at church and think, oh, it's awful. And this, no one sees me. This is me talking about me, not talking about you for a minute. Remember, I'm an expert on this. And uh, I have to get a grip some days and think, do you know what? It's not that bad. God is doing this. God is good. God is great. Everything, all the riches of heaven are mine. It's in Ephesians, it says, all the riches lavishes with every rich and every blessing. And they're all mine. They're all there. And they always will be there. It's just me. It's my heart. And... um, It's interesting. It's interesting. So, no wonder it says in Proverbs 4, 23, guard your heart, it is a wellspring of life. Guard your heart, it's the wellspring of life. So, how do we guard our hearts? With this I close. This is a pill for the palms. Poor old me syndrome. It's Colossians. I'm going to give you a a, a pill. It's not a sedative. This will wake up your life. It's called the Word of God. I believe reading the Word of God will change my life. It is changing my life. The Word of God dwelling richly in me. I would say, if you haven't got a reading plan, get a reading plan. Get a hold of the Word of God. Fill your life. Just as you would take um, paracetamol for a pain, then take this scripture. There's many. If you actually look at reward... Google reward, and you look at all the rewards that God gives. It's amazing. But I'm just picking on one. I'm going to give you one pill, one pill from the Word of God this morning for the poor old me syndrome. And it's this, Colossians 3, 23 to 24. And it reads like this. If it's going to come up, it should do. Yeah, there it is. Um, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Colossians 3, 23 to 24. That's from the NIV. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is for Christ that you are serving. We're serving Christ. So, the key is this. How do we guard our hearts? Take that verse. Read it. Imbibe it for your life. Meditate on it and let it be the basis for your life. When we're in church life, when we're in your work, when we're in family, when we're a husband and a wife, when I'm at school, I'm doing my best. As a pastor, this is what I say. Is Lord, I am serving people, but I'm serving you first. I'm not at the beck and call of anything or anyone but you. And everything I do, you see. See, if I'm serving God, he sees it. People might not see it. If I'm serving God, he endorses me. People might not endorse me. This is what Jesus was basically saying. This is what the the father was trying to say to the son. This is how you guard your heart. Jesus said, you do this to me. When When we serve the sick, when we give someone, we visit someone in prison, we're doing it for him. You're not doing it for each you, although we are. Jesus says, I see it, and you do it to me. Isn't that interesting? Jesus said, um, 
that if we're trusted with little, we'll be entrusted with much. We read in Corinthians, uh, Paul might plant, Apollos will water, but God makes it grow. So we see that everything is for God, through God and in God, and he sees everything. So if he sees everything, what does it matter if people don't see and what they don't say or do say? It's what God says and what God sees that matters. But I am so earthly and material, and I get het up about that, and I fall into the poor old me syndrome, which is normal, and it happens But let's not beat ourselves up over it. Let's do something about it. Let's guard our hearts. Let's guard it with the word of God so that we don't fall into the elder brother syndrome because it's dangerous for your health. You will not see what God wants to do in your life. You won't see what he's doing in your marriage, your home, or your job. You won't see what he's doing in your church. You won't see what he's doing in our nation if we fall into the elder brother syndrome. So don't we serve an amazing God? Let's finish as we, we're going to sing and worship together as we conclude now this morning. We have a God who is good, a God who is true. We have a God who is tender. We have a God who is gracious, a God of great mercy. This God we serve is a father. This father is of God of incredible grace. He wants us not to rebel and do our own thing, but to return and repent and give our lives to him. And as we sing this morning, let's say to God, we're giving our lives for your glory. Let's return. If you feel that you've let God down, if you feel that you've fallen into the POM syndrome, poor old me, if you feel that you've lost your way a bit, don't, don't beat yourself up. If you feel that you've dishonored God, you've dishonored your family, dishonored your home, then come, return, repent, return to God this morning. And you know what? This father says, I've always loved you. I've never stopped loving you. I've been showing you love. You haven't seen it. You've just not embraced it. That's what grace is. No matter what we do, God loves. God loves. He wants us to return. Let's stand together, shall we? And uh, we're going to sing. Father, this morning we give you our lives and hearts afresh. We return to you. We embrace you. We give our lives to you. We say, Jesus, we love you. Now this morning, will you receive us? We repent of any ungodly thing. If I've rebelled and done my own thing and left you out of my life, forgive me, Lord. I want to live for you and you be at the center of my heart and life. If I've looked around me and I've seen others and I've not looked to you and it's got to me and I've become offended, forgive me, Lord. I look towards you, the author and perfecter of my faith. And if I've done anything that could dishonor you, dishonor my home, I say, forgive me. I repent that I might be clean again because you are a God of immense mercy, tremendous love and incredible grace. Receive my life in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.